All right. Uh, again, good morning. Awesome. Uh, let's see. What do we want to say this morning? There's my phone. Couldn't find it all day. Uh, let's say this. You don't have to say it. I'll say it for you. God is still on the throne. Okay, let's, let's just go there. God is still in charge. He's still supreme. He's still sovereign over everything. Even when it seems like the world's being built up and perfect before eyes, or it, or it appears like it's being broken down into shambles, God's still supreme. He's still authority. We're in good hands. Are we, are we okay with that? Let's just start there, because I know there probably is some feelings one way or another, but as Christ followers, our hope is in more than just what we see around us. It's more than the horizontal. It's the vertical. We keep our eyes looking forward because that's the only hope that's not going to crumble over time. We good? Okay. Uh, so hopefully your uh, election exhaustion is starting to dissipate. Uh, I kind of feel like ex uh, uh, election season is similar to Thanksgiving, right? Y or Christmas. You get all built up and then it happens and then like hours later you feel like death, right? You're just exhausted beyond belief. Hopefully that's dissipating. Hopefully you can move on, um, but God is still good in the midst of it all. We've been in this series called New Creation People, and that is we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to be a Christ follower in today's world? How do we not allow the world or the culture or, or where we work or our friends or our family to dictate who we are? How do we allow Scripture to decide who we are? What does God say we are because we live in a time where we're constantly, one way or another, being categorized of if you believe this, then this is who you are, or this is who you are, and, and I'll define you this way. And that's hogwash. The, the, the worst recipients of that deceitful lies are our kids. They're the ones, the, the younger ones, I'll go high school and below, that are constantly being tagged on this is who you are, and, and it's a travesty. And so what we're trying to do is use the book of Ephesians to really unpack who does God say we are, what is our truth, what is our identity, and how do we hold firm to that and not get swayed by what the rest of the world dictates to us. Make sense? So we've been on this journey. If you missed any of our messages, they're all online. You can jump on uh, rockcreekchurch.org. You can catch up with all of those uh, messages. Alex will be preaching uh, next week. Super excited uh, for that. So that's where we're at this morning. This morning, uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open those up. If you don't have a Bible, there should be at least one in the seat below you. Or you could just sit back and watch. I think I have all of the uh, scripture passages online. You're going to learn some new words this morning. So if you want to take notes in your Bible, which I love to do, then this will be a great morning for that. Also, you are going to be challenged. Uh, I'll, I'll give you this insight right off the top. Uh, there is good news and bad news with this morning's message, okay? Uh, and, and I'm not even going to distinguish which is which. You'll be able to find that over time. Are we ready to begin? We got our Bibles ready? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you're joining us at home, you can hit pause, run and grab your Bible, come back, hit play, um, but invite you to follow along with us as well and be an integral part of this family of the church. We might think uh, the 21st century, what we're currently kind of living in right now, is unique. 
In a lot of ways, it is. Let's just admit that. Um, but we can think that the 21st century is secular, evil, hard, frustrating, uh, however you want to kind of designate that. Uh, we can sometimes kind of go there that, that evil is looked at as good, and then there's a mockery of good that kind of paints a picture of evil. And at times it is. We're, we're talking specifically about the United States, America, where we live, Boulder County, etc., our current life. In America, we are continuing, it seems like, every week, every month, every year, continuing to experience a moral and spiritual decline. It's, it's pretty obvious when you just turn on the news or, or turn on Netflix or turn on Amazon Prime or turn on Hulu, you can kind of see this decline right before our eyes. We had previously been protected by uh, spiritual uh, revolutions or, or revivals, if you would, in the 18th and 19th centuries that gave America, uh, in its fabric of its being, Christ-focused morals, ethics, worldview, etc. Bless you. And those things are dissipating on a regular basis. That's not political, that's just an, an observation of the world that we see. And that's happening right before our eyes. But Paul's day was even worse. His day, unlike ours, wasn't post-Christian, the, the world that we're currently heading towards. More than heading towards, we are steamrolling towards the post-Christian world. But his was pre-Christian. And, and sin abounded in these cities. And it was okay. It was okay to do whatever you think is right. Whatever gave you pleasure, whatever gave you lordship, whatever governed you was approved in these Greco-Roman cultures of the day. And Paul, specifically in our passage this morning, calls the people of Ephesus to take very seriously the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, this is where it all comes together because we try to do this on a regular basis. All of us are in the same boat. We are all sinners. We are all trying to navigate life. None of us have all the answers. None of us have perfected what we're going to read about this morning, and yet we're called to it. And it can be hard. Let's just identify that. It can be difficult. Last week, the Apostle Paul painted a picture of the church as Christ's actual body. That you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus as we go and love and serve and care for and are patient and kind and loving to other people. We are Christ's ambassadors to model him. We are given the unfortunate task where the Bible says, if you're going to follow me, then your life should reflect God. Now, try that on for size. You and I are called to live as God in this world. That means it causes us to pause. And now Paul spells out some warnings and some implications, if you would, and, and even joys about being part of a community of believers, the church. 
So look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 17 for our first part here, 17 through 19. It begins this way. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, does that make sense today? Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, I do not want to be described that way. I don't know about you, but there's a group of people that's being described in this way. I wonder if someone were to follow you around for a month, how would they describe you? All the interactions that no one else sees, what would they find? Paul here paints a very dark picture of the unbeliever, of of one not following Jesus Christ. Because he wants his readers to clearly see, and the Bible does this often, to clearly see a contrast between darkness and light. And there is a difference. Can we agree? There's a big difference between hell-bent behavior, doing whatever I want, thinking whatever I want, feeling whatever I want, and holiness to which we're called. Holiness. Now look in verse 20. We'll read 20 through 24. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Again, remember, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to these individuals that Dan unpacked in earlier in chapter 4 that he did all of this work for the recipients of this letter. They are the you. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul uses the analogy of taking off dirty clothes and putting new clothes back on. We see this kind of language periodically throughout the scriptures if we, if we really take the time to listen to what is being taught. We see it in Romans 13. We see it in Colossians chapter 3. But it's just not a matter of taking off something exterior, is it? Is it really that easy? No. If it were that easy, all of us in this room would merely participate in an outward expression. We would take off something and then be right with Christ. But it doesn't work that way. It's deeper than that. It's seated to a, a place deep within our hearts because where does God want to get? He wants to get to the depths of who you are. 
He doesn't want to stay on the surface. He doesn't want to uh, continually have casual conversation over a cup of coffee. You ever have that where you meet someone with several times over coffee and it just seems like you're going an inch deep. You just can't break that barrier. That's the opposite of our Lord. Our Lord loves us so much, He wants to go to a depth that is often uncomfortable. We talked about this when when we uh, unpacked racism and bigotry, that all of us have some kind of fragment of that. And God wants to go to that really uncomfortable place and weed that out. Well, this morning's passage is no different. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Now notice, this isn't limited to Ephesians. We've talked about this from week one, that we are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, the miraculous is available at your fingertips for a heart change. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. In today's times, it would be going to church or not going to church, going to Bible study or not going to Bible study. It doesn't mean anything. It's are you created new in Christ? Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Is your heart changing? That's the question that's being forced upon us. And the reality is we don't become Christians by reforming our behavior. There are a lot of religions that teach that. You can read about them. That's not us. We don't become Christ followers. We don't have a greater intimacy with Christ by just changing our behavior. By, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. I'm not going to sleep around anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to cheat anymore. I'm going to do, I'm going to check all the boxes and therefore I'm a Christ follower. It doesn't work that way. God works a basic change in our heart by the power of his Holy Spirit. When you say, yes, Lord, when, when you humble yourself to bow a knee before his throne and receive his forgiveness, receive his mercy, receive his love, receive his identity, how he sees you, his Holy Spirit comes in and begins a work in you to change, to enhance, to make better. And oftentimes, we, we see this even in the medical field, We hear this phrase, it might get worse before it gets better. Well, that's not a great marketing campaign for the church. If you're going to grow the church, if you're going to if you're going to grow tithing, if you're going to grow involvement, looking at someone who's contemplating giving their life to God doesn't really help if you go, things are going to get super hard before they get better. That's not a great campaign. But is it truth? A lot of times it is. And if you're anything like me, on a regular basis, I think to myself, boy, I thought I put that sin to bed years ago. And yet here I am again, dealing with that same old dirty rascal. Maybe that's you. But that work that happens in it, in John chapter 3, Jesus gives us our churchy phrase. He says in John 3 that that idea is that you've been born again. 
born again, it's super confusing. And it, it's not just confusing to us. It was confusing to people in the scripture. Like, do I need to crawl back in the womb then and, and then come back out? Like, how does this all work? For Jesus, it was simply, when you accept me, when you accept the grace and the forgiveness of the Father, you receive the Holy Spirit and that begins a change. That is born again. You are being born to a new creation. I don't know how many of you would like me to have seen you pre-Christian. You wouldn't have liked to have seen me. I'm a new creation. Not because of me, not because of my own work, but because of God's work in me. I'm different. But I'm not done. Thank you for not saying amen. Like, amen, you're not, you better be not. Like, I'm not done. There's still work to be done. Amen, Polly? Polly's 94. God is still working in Polly's life. Refining, creating, smoothing over the edges. And that's our world. That, that is the life of a Christ follower. I don't know how many of you have ever used a grinder or a sander. It's often not pretty, but the result is good. If you've ever felt smooth wood or smooth metal compared to ragged, jetted, sharp shards. But if you use a grinder, there's sparks flying everywhere. It's, it's chaotic, but the result is beautiful. And that, my friends, is what's happening in your life. Let me put it this way. In regards to the change that happens in us and what culture will often do. When Sandy and I, we love to work in the yard. Uh, I work in the yard even if there's not work to do in the yard. I've got issues, but I just love being outside. And when I get hot and sweaty and filthy and dirty where no one even wants to be near me, there's nothing better than a hot shower, right? You get clean, you practice your worship singing, you sound amazing, in the shower, just like every note just is perfect. But if you get out, there's nothing better than nice, clean clothes. I love a brand new pair of socks, right? I love clean clothes, especially in the winter when it's cold out. You put on a flannel, you put on jammies, you, you just, you're nice and clean. It would make no sense for me to get out of the shower and grab my filthy clothes filled with toxins and dirt and sweat and put them back on. I'd be miserable. And no one would talk to me. When I'm clean, I want to put my clean clothes back on. It's only natural and yet so often as Christ followers, we want to put our old clothes back on. We want to put our old coping mechanisms back on. We want to put uh, on our old clothes of pleasure. We want to put our own clothes, our own old clothes back on of, of criticalness and malicious. Uh, maybe they're not only old clothes, they're dirty, but they're new. It's, it's new clothes that are now dirty, new habits over the last couple of years that we've picked up along the way and, and we put those clothes on. And this is Paul's point in verse 25. 
you, verse 25, have been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, put on the new self. I I think I'm convinced of this. One of the reasons we struggle often as Christ followers is we don't see ourselves the way Christ sees us. If we could see, if we could touch, if we could feel what's in God's heart for us, life would be different. That's the good news. The, The hard news is coming. But the good news is if you can tap into way, the way that God genuinely sees you. Just you and your life, your, your parenting, your, your marriage, your personality, your history, as dark and as painful as, as that history might be, then we might find a loving God that just can't get enough of us. And even though that I know that's true, I don't understand it. Because on a regular basis, I'll look in the mirror and go, why would you want to spend any time with me? One of our main problems as Christians is that we'll often rush back into what's familiar. And Paul is saying, often when we do that, we're emulating the behavior of those who aren't following Christ. Because their hope isn't where our hope ought to be. A perfect example of that is what we've been dealing with for the past several months. Not COVID, but the pending election. The world around us, who aren't following Christ, running around with their head cut off, worried about how it's all going to work out, and and thinking that the sky is falling one way or another. and, And yet Christ calls us to something higher than that. Guilty. Guilty. And it just is recently that, that God has been grabbing me by the scruff of my neck. I don't have hair to grab, but he's grabbing me by the scruff of my skin on my neck and shaking me and saying, why are you being tossed around by the waves like we talked about last week? Why aren't you grounded in me? You're acting like a kid in the faith. And I've had to receive that and then make some changes. So the Bible says, take off that old kind of behavior the same way you would your dirty clothes. Sandy and I, with our kids, now maybe this is laziness. And so if if you go, well, you guys are lazy parents, I fully embrace that. Sometimes our kids will do something where we don't even wash the clothes, we just throw them away. Especially sheets. Like if they throw up, Sandy's got a super, sorry, dear. Uh, (laughs) Sandy's got a very quick gag reflex. (laughs) Just saying the word kind of gets her going. And so I'm not, I'm usually the shaker and the sprayer and the chiseler for throw up and stuff. Sorry, it's morning, but you guys are probably getting sick. Um, Sometimes we'll just wound that bad boy up in bedding and out to the trash. If we lived out in the rural, we'd light a match, right? 
But that's what we do. We do with dirty stuff. We do with nasty stuff. We do with disgusting stuff. And yet, on a regular basis, we take our filthy rags and we put them back on. Or worse, we take someone else's dirty stuff and put that on. That's disgusting. I love Alex. I am not wearing his underwear or socks. <laughs> I'm not. But what we will often do is take his behavior, let's say he's not walking with Christ, and I'll go, well, I, that's kind of attractive. I'll, I'll take that on for myself. We see it with kids all the time. Verse 22 says that the old self has been corrupted by evil, deceitful desires. And I think of, when I think of this passage, I think of the Garden of Eden, of Eve's and Adam's desire for something tasty and daring, something that will give them a godlike high to escape their current reality. And all it did was bring them death, first spiritually and then later physically. We don't read about it. We don't read that maybe in the moment like every bite was like a Krispy Kreme donut, right? We don't see that. We don't understand that. But we do know that what came very quickly was death. Even if there was momentary happiness and joy, it faded quickly. James 1.14 says, Each one is tempted why, when by his own evil desire he or she is dragged away and enticed. Do you know that you have the propensity to be dragged away and enticed? Hopefully that's not like a wow for you. Hopefully you're in tune enough with yourself to know that. And we don't even have to get into the enticing because you know your world. The answer to deceitful desires is the work that God is doing in us. That's the combat. That's the fight against the deceitfulness of evil desires, making you new. He gradually changes our desires. And with that change, hopefully, comes new habits, new thinking, a new heart. And we cooperate with God by putting on and taking off. It's both. We refuse as Christ followers to continually put on the dirty clothes. Now, here's what I'll say to you. If you're in a place in life where you're like, man, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Brian, but I continually put on my dirty clothes, uh, my old self, my old habits, then my encouragement to you is get with someone you trust and admit that to them and ask for help. It's called accountability. I do this monthly with Sandy regarding food. I'm like, I don't have the ability to eat healthy on my own. I'm like a 13-year-old boy. I need an adult in the house because I don't, I, don't, I don't have the work ethic. I don't have the stick-with-itness, whatever you want to say. And so I'm like, hey, I need some help. If you're continually putting on the old clothes, the old words, the old lies, the old worldview of thinking, the old bitterness, the old criticalness, the old whatever, then grab someone and go, I've identified something filthy in me, and I don't like it, but I keep putting it back on. That's community. Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. Let's continue to... 
trudge through this. Therefore, because of all these things, because of what Paul just said that, that we are all susceptible to, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Notice it doesn't say if you are angry. It just says in your anger, meaning you're going to be. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We tend to think about that in regards to husband and wives. We're horrible in regards to other relationships. We'll sleep like babies if there's a problem between someone else. Bible calls us to something greater. And do not give the devil a foothold. We'll talk about that. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Paul says, in other words, speak truthfully. Control your anger. Don't steal. Don't harbor anger. These things give the enemy a foothold in your life and they affect not just your, bless you, not just your relationship with God, but they affect your relationship with each other. You see, Satan isn't just out to ruin our relationship with God. He's smart. He'll ruin our relationships with one another and therefore ruin our relationship with God. He's a strategist. And he's darn good at what he does. It's interesting to note how much of the new self has to do with our altered speech patterns. James, of course, talks a good deal about the evil that can be done with the tongue. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone considers himself or herself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his or her tongue, he or she deceives themselves with their religion, and it's worthless. I do not want my faith, my relationship with Jesus to be worthless. And yet the Bible says that if your tongue isn't bridled, if, if your tongue isn't under control, that reveals the condition of your heart. The Bible says, out of the condition of our heart come the words of our mouths. So is it really about our words? No, it's not about our words. It's about our heart that dictates our words. And words are an interesting thing because we can remain silent, but we can sure post a lot. We can sure remain silent, but in our heart, in our mind, say everything that we are feeling and give it life. And Paul here and really all over the Bible says control that because that's putting on your old dirty clothes. Uh, one of the ways that you can gauge this, a, a litmus test if you would, is the minute you feel something, think something, want to post something or say something, say, God, is this okay with you? That has caused lots of deletions in my book. Lots of posts that I post and don't hit submit, I just delete it. One of the things we're constantly working with our boys, um, our three young boys, is uh, internal talk. You guys have this discussion with any of your kids before? In other words, everything you think you don't have to say. Like you can say it to yourself, just keep it inside. We all don't need to hear it. Adults, we could probably practice that. 
this whole internal talk. We just talk way too much. Ephesians 4.29 contains a lot of truth in just a few words. It says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. There isn't a whole lot of wiggle room there. Now, you might justify your words as not unwholesome, but I encourage you, hold them up against the backdrop of Jesus Christ. And you might find yourself being more quiet than you usually are. It doesn't mean that you've went, went from being an extrovert to an introvert. It just means that the Holy Spirit is telling you, yeah, you probably don't need to say that. Just keep your mouth shut. That's a polite way. If I were the Holy Spirit, there'd be a lot of shut-ups. Unwholesome. How many of you enjoy unwholesomeness in your mouth? We, we, we say it often, so there has to be some attraction. When we give someone a piece of our mind, when we enter into an argument, when someone cuts us off on the road, when we're watching, the, there needs to be some kind of enjoyment because on a regular basis, we have it in our mouths. Here's where the message gets hard. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth. The word unwholesome or evil or corrupt is the Greek word sapros. Say sapros. The basic meaning is this. Spoiled, rotten, used literally to describe spoiled fish, decaying trees, rotten fruit and stones that are unsound or crumbling. I, know, I don't know everything about all of you, but I'm darn sure very few of you desire to put a spoiled fish in your mouth or rotten fruit. Any of you seen rotten fruit in California? We had, we had every fruit tree known to mankind in our yard, and, and on a regular basis, I was picking up rotten fruit, and it's disgusting. Any of you want to put rotten fruit or rotten fish in your mouth? Like some of you are like, I don't even want to put a nice fish in my mouth, <laughs> let alone a spoiled one. So later in verse 29, Paul gives us three guidelines for judging our words. He says this, number one, is it helpful for building others up? You want a litmus test? Ask yourself, before I say this, is it going to build others people up? Does it edify? Does it enlighten? Does it encourage? Number two, is it uh, according to the hearer's need? Or only our need to vent? Or, or get some frustrations off our chests. Some things need to be said, however hard they might be. But many things that we want to say very clearly can just be left unsaid. Practice that this week. It's hard. And lastly, is it beneficial for the hearer? That's what the scriptures say. Is it beneficial? If, our mainstay, if love is our mainstay, if love is our bedrock, our foundation, our passion to love others, then benefiting others is our way of life. That's our job. We talked about this last week. That your job isn't to go be right. Your job isn't to go convince. Your job isn't to sway. Man, it's hot in here. 
That has nothing to do with the sermon. Can you like, anybody else hot? Mark Arnett always is. Our speech can either uh, destroy or it can heal. It can do one or the other. It can't do both at the same time. Our words lie at the very heart of the Christian faith according to James. But let's pivot. Paul identifies all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Slander, that's where we have the Greek word blasphemia. It is speech that denigrates or defames, reviling, denigration, disrespect, slander. It's a filthy, filthy word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Our words, our putting back on our dirty clothes, can grieve the holiness of God. Think about that. The word to grieve is lupeo. Say that. It means, and this is what you and I do when we sin, when especially if we choose to put on our, our old dirty clothes, if we choose to put those back on, here is exactly what happens. It means to cause severe emotional, mental distress, vex, irritate, offend, insult. That's what our active sin does to the heart of God. When we accept Christ and we're in Christ, we are indwelt with the Spirit, but our words can insult the Spirit of God. It can grieve God's heart. We see this phrase, to grieve the Holy Spirit, in Isaiah 63.10. It says, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. God, please keep us as a nation and as a people from you doing that. It's also the same word used to describe our Lord's experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anguish hurt. And to think just because the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross has been already done does not mean that our Lord's heart still isn't pained when his sons and daughters return back to their old ways and put those dirty, filthy clothes back on. So briefly, as we get ready to close here, let's talk about anger. Anyone know someone who's been angry lately? Anyone? Could be you. Doesn't have to be you. God might, we hear about this in our passage, God very well might remove our anger, but he probably isn't going to remove our anger overnight. Why? Because you didn't get angry overnight. 
You've got hours and days and weeks and months and years making you angry. Or you have a life situation that continually over time has made you angry. Don't think for a moment you're just going to snap your fingers, ask for God to remove that anger, and it's going to be gone. But also don't mistaken the longevity of that redemption for the fact that God's not at work. He is. It just might take a bit. Part of dispensing with rooted anger is gained in practicing what verse 32 says. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Does it, de- does it designate who to be this to? The other. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. At the end of the day, you want to know what you're supposed to be doing as a Christ follower? Just go to verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It's a great verse to memorize. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, hard? Super hard. Super hard to be consistent. But instead of a self-centered attitude that revolves around you, Paul commands kindness and compassion to one another. As Christ followers, we don't return evil for evil. We return good. Because these actions aren't just for our gain, they're for someone else's. It's for their faith. God is so good. God designed a cure for our built-up bitterness and anger. He has a cure for it. This is amazing. And the Bible says that the cure for bitterness and pent-up anger is forgiveness. That the more you forgive... The more you build forgiveness into the fabric of of your character, you are fighting bitterness and anger. It's just the way God does it. He approaches things from a flank position, not head on. He doesn't say, just stop being angry, stop being bitter. He says, as you forgive, as you live the life of me in your life, those things will subside before you know it. Sometimes we withhold forgiveness because we don't think that the person deserves forgiveness. It's understandable. Some of you have some deep, deep pains from others that cause them. And you might in your mind think they don't deserve forgiveness. And if we're honest, they probably don't. But that kind of thinking also reveals that we don't quite understand forgiveness. Forgiveness, like grace, is neither earned nor is it deserved. If it's earned or deserved, it's not real forgiveness. Grace. It's granted freely. Unilaterally, if you would by the giver and with no thought of the worth of the one receiving it. And Paul reminds us why that is so important that we are to forgive just as Christ God forgave you. Because if we're honest, you don't and nor did you deserve forgiveness. 
you don't nor do you today deserve God's mercies. But boy, does he give those freely to you and I. Renewal of the heart and the mind goes deeper than the changing of our habits. It's an inside work of the Holy Spirit that works itself out in new will and new actions. The key to putting on the new self is following Jesus, is emulating him. Doing our best to live as Jesus would in the context of our world. He's our role model. So together, let's make sure that we put on clean clothes, the things of God, not our filthy rags that we once took off. Fight that urge to put those back on. They do no good. And they might help for for just a moment, but they're not going to change anything. And that's who you are. That's what's available to you in Jesus. Is the ability to change. To begin to move in a different direction than the one that you are now. I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me. I've often thought about this when when preachers, uh, Mark and Alex, have been around the church forever. And we'll lead people in prayers and you wonder, well, what's that prayer all about? It's not about my prayer. It's not even about you repeating what I pray. It's just a guide and you put it in your own words. Because the issue really is, are are you confessing with your own heart? Not, Not making sure you get all the words right. And so I specifically want to pray and and lead you in a prayer. If that's you, if, if you've been continually putting on those old clothes and not seeking every day to put the new clothes on, the new you, the, the new mindset, the new worldview, the new critical thinking, then, then I want to give you an opportunity to change the trajectory of your life right now. Now again, is there anything magical that will happen? Maybe. But it's a commitment between you and God today, right now, in this moment at 11.11. You can make a decision today that you're done putting the old dirty clothes back on and that from this point forward, you are going to seek to only put on the new clothes of Christ, the new mindset, the new outlook, the new worldview, the new behaviors. And then we're going to ask that God empower you to stick with that and to surround you with some other folks that can walk beside you. So let's bow our heads. Uh, I'm not going to ask for you to stand. I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand. Nothing. You know who you are. If you're at home, if you're watching in the living room, in the office, if you're listening in the car, if you're on a hike, if you're with family and friends, I just implore you, I beg you to think introspectively, to think about your life. What is God saying to you? Is he perhaps saying, enough is enough. I have so much for you. Just follow me. Stop putting that old stuff on. Stop with that old behavior. Begin to think and act and live differently. I have such great plans for you. Is that you? Is that what God is saying to you? And if that is, then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer that kind of rededicates, if you would, reestablishes your commitment to Jesus Christ. So let's pray. 
And you can just follow along in your own heart. If you're at home, you can whisper it or say it out loud. You could write it down. You could just think it. God hears your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking right now. And I just want to say before we pray that God has his arm around you. He loves you for who you are. He loves you in the midst of your struggle. He, he loves you in the, midst, in the midst of your missteps. He loves you in the midst of your sin. He loves you even if you turn a blind eye to him and pursue the things of the world. He is still in pursuit of you. And he is relentless in his pursuit of you. So know that right here, right now. So God, this is a prayer for those of us who are far from you that want to return. Would you please forgive? Would you please remind me how much you love me? Would you help me to stop putting on the dirty old clothes of the life that used to be? and embrace your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace here and now that my life would look and feel and be lived out differently. And I begin that process right here, right now by praying and asking for you to forgive me and to make me new. Starting today, things will be different, not on my own efforts but on the work of the Holy Spirit. This I humbly pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and let's continue to worship together.